Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, April 18th, 2022. In today's podcast, Stephanie Melka and I discuss teaching hospitals and why residents are our friends. We originally dropped this podcast two years ago in April 2020, and I chose it as one of our redrops for this year. I think one of the great misconceptions out there is that if you are a patient in a hospital with residents, you're getting inferior care because they are all quote-unquote practicing on you. Melk and I discuss why we think that is not correct and how we both appreciate and value having residents involved in our patients' care. All right, thanks again for listening. Have a great day. And for those of you celebrating, I hope you have a wonderful Passover. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I am your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Today, we'll be talking about teaching hospitals and resident education with Dr. Stephanie Melka. Melka, welcome to Healthful Woman. Hi, happy to be here. So we're talking about teaching hospitals and resident education. So for our listeners, explain what is the difference between a teaching hospital and a non-teaching hospital or maybe a community hospital? So it might be a little hard for me to answer that because I've only been in teaching hospitals. I was a med student and then a resident at Sinai and have been with this group ever since. But you know, in general, a teaching hospital has residents who are on the labor floor 24-7 with attending coverage on the labor floor as well, whereas a community hospital would not have residents and would probably have a PA or a midwife or one attending, overseeing everything. Right. So basically at a teaching hospital, so they're usually affiliated with a medical school. And hospitals sort of have two arms to them. There's the hospital activity, which is, you know, the hospital itself, the rooms, maybe the, the x-ray machines, the, the stuff that goes on in the hospital. And then there's a medical school for some of the hospitals, which is its sort of education arm. So at Mount Sinai, there's Mount Sinai Hospital, and then the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. And that's the latter, the medical school is sort of where the, the medical students are through and the residents are through and a lot of the education, whereas community hospitals don't have that. And so what ends up happening is the, the sort of people you see or the workforce at these hospitals different. At a community hospital, there are just doctors who are seeing their patients or um, obstetrics uh, delivering their patients, plus usually nurses or what you were saying, maybe people the hospital hire, like physician assistants or whatnot to help out. Whereas in a teaching hospital, you also interact with all these people who are in various levels of their training, whether they're medical students who are sort of at the beginning end or residents who are trained to do that specific field, or maybe what we call fellows, which are people doing subspecialty training. And since you, you've been in teaching hospitals, I've been at both uh, teaching hospitals and community hospitals, a lot of people seem to have a trepidation over the idea that they're going to be in a hospital with learners who are going to see them and interact with them. How do you dispel that myth or explain to people why it's actually not the case that it's a problem? Yeah, it, it's a hard myth to dispel. I mean, I don't want to put down anyone's experiences, but you know, especially nowadays when people are on message boards and everyone's sharing stories, you'll hear somebody had some bad experience somewhere with a resident. And when you get into the details, it's things that don't happen in our practice or at our institution. Our residents are 
well-supervised, well-trained. Anything they're doing is under our care. They're admitting a patient for us. They're in contact with us, and we're helping to make the decisions of what to do. They're our first line at the hospital. They are our eyes and ears. So if a patient comes in and I'm not in the hospital, they're the first person to be evaluating the patient and then helping make the decisions along with one of us to guide the management. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I try to explain to people is the underlying fear is that somehow people are going to be practiced upon or they're going to have people who don't know what they're doing, sort of like trying things out on them and they don't want to be, quote unquote, the guinea pig for education. But that's not really how it works. So when there are residents or medical students in the hospital, they're typically learning from us, meaning the things that they do, we do with them. We show them either based on what their level is, either we show them and they watch or we do it together or they do it and we watch. It sort of depends on obviously the level of the the learner where they are. But the other important thing is people don't always realize that the residents, they're doctors. They, they finish medical school. Mm-hmm. They have MDs. They have doctor in front of their name. And they're just training in a specific field, uh, like let's say obstetrics and gynecology. And what ends up happening in teaching hospitals is because they're this whole crew of doctors who are in training, they're always there. There's someone always there. There's no doctor who practices who's always in the hospital. It's just not possible for anyone to always be in the hospital. And so for us, we rely heavily on the residents to be our eyes and ears for when a patient walks in. Or if let's say, you know, someone delivers there in the hospital overnight and we're at home and she has a, a concern, a, a problem, whatever it is, who is it that's going to go and see her in the middle of the night at the hospital? And I'd much rather it be an OBGYN resident seeing her than someone else potentially, because they're going to know exactly what's going on and what's related to me, whether I need to come in or not, and exactly what to do. Yeah, especially when it's a resident there immediately rather than having to wait for someone else, you know, because in a lot of these complications, it's a true emergency and minutes in care really do matter. And I think there's also this idea that the residents do things on their own and they really don't. I mean, they if they have to do something on their own, it's life-saving, they're going to do it. But basically, they're in constant contact with either whoever's supervising them who's physically in the hospital, uh, which happens in situations, or if they're calling one of us at home. And there's actually a lot of data support that patients get better care in teaching hospitals than they do in non-teaching hospitals. And obviously, it's not the case for everything, but an average, because there's more people who are trained, who know what they're doing, who are thinking about and caring about and taking care of a particular patient. If I'm admitted to the hospital, the only person with medical training who's going to take care of me is my doctor who's at home. It's a lot different than if there's, you know, 10 people who are walking around the hallways at all times who are also helping to take care of me. I'm going to get treatment much quicker, possibly more effective than without. And the things that they might do on their own are things that they're all trained in early on um, that they become competent in very quickly. For example, examining a patient in triage to see if their water broke or if they're dilated. Patients coming in for an induction, you know, getting their admission done, putting in a Foley balloon those initial steps. Those are all things that they're well-equipped to handle. In community hospitals, it's usually the nurses who do this. And nurses obviously can learn this just as well as you know a resident or student can, but it's how it works. On the labor floor, for example, someone comes in, they're going to see whoever is running the triage area. 
And if that person is a good resident, the care is going to be great. And they'll be able to get all the information that we need and to decide, should she stay? Should she go home? What should we do? And convey it to us. And just like a, a well-trained labor nurse could do in any community hospital. It's great having them around as well. If we have a complicated delivery, we talk twins and how we have them available to give an extra set of hands. But if we're doing something like forceps or a complicated repair or C-section, they're really the best people to be helping us with that. They can operate and they do things and they're definitely very helpful. And it's also just from a sort of a philosophical standpoint, if you didn't have teaching hospitals, there would be no more doctors. There'd be no way to, to learn how to do anything. All of us went through medical school, went through residency, and we had to learn and someone gave of themselves, you know, their time and their patience to, to teach us how to do things. It's a way to give back sort of to the idea, the whole institution of medicine is always relied, has always relied on this idea of a, a teacher and a student and learning that way. And if that stopped, it would be very bad for the health of people afterwards. One of the other advantages I find with teaching institutions is when you have a lot of learners around, whether it's students or residents, you're always having people ask you questions. It's difficult sometimes because it takes time to answer and you have to collect your thoughts and sometimes you're busy. But one of the nice things about having people ask you questions is if you can't answer it, you've got to go look it up. And things change in medicine. And sometimes they'll say, hey, how come you do it this way when you know so-and-so does it this way? Or how come in this patient you chose this antibiotic and this patient you chose that antibiotic? And it really keeps you on your toes that you have to make decisions that make sense and that are consistent and are also in line with current knowledge. And sometimes if you get in a situation where you're not being questioned, you can practice the same way for 5, 10, 20 years and suddenly you're outdated. And I've had times when they've been even more up to date on certain guidelines than we are because, you know, something new comes out with antibiotics. You know, recently there was a certain antibiotic shortage and a lot of us didn't know that. You know, we hadn't been informed and they had. So they're the ones that we're going to go to for that additional information. And also because since they're in the trenches, so to speak, all day, every day, they are gathering the knowledge and the experience of all of us. So, you know, I have what I do and maybe I practice with other doctors and we have it our way, but there may be 50 doctors who come through the labor floor. And since the residents interact with all of them, they get to learn from all of them and they can actually pass that on to us. Sometimes we'll be operating with a resident and one of them will say, hey, I've learned, you know, a different way to do this from some other doctor and then you'll say, oh, that's so interesting. And you'll talk about that. And it just keeps that idea of a learning environment active. Yeah. And that's important for all of us when we're practicing to continue to be learners ourselves, because one of the mistakes people make is they believe that once they know something, it's, you know, close the book on that, we're done. And that's not how medicine works. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, it makes it harder for us, but it also keeps things fresh and keeps things relevant. And so you can do what's best for patients ultimately. Do you have any interesting stories about when you were a resident or a medical student where sort of like a run-in? I mean, I know because I had situations, for example, where I'm a resident and I was a resident at Mount Sinai and a lot of my friends were having babies at the time and they live on the Upper East Side. And then some of them are going to come into the hospital and it, it basically broke down to two groups. The one group was like, oh my God, that'd be so great if, you know, Nady were here to, you know, deliver my baby or be part of that. And the other group was, oh my God, I really hope it's not Nady who comes and delivers my baby because we know each other. And obviously it's, you know, what we do in, you know, OBGYN is a little more intimate 
than maybe someone, you know, came with a cough or something like that. But I remember I had friends of mine who came in in labor and their doctor wasn't there yet. And I delivered their baby, which was quite unexpected for them. Or other situations where, you know, you sort of meet people as a medical student. I met a patient when I was a resident. I was a second year resident. And I remember she got admitted to the hospital. She was pregnant and had appendicitis. And her doctor was Dr. Charlie Bacall, who was my wife's doctor. So I knew him very, very well. And so I met this patient and he was, you know, he was teaching me and I learned so much from him. And 15 years later, I'm in practice and a woman comes and sees me. It was 10 years later. It comes into the office and sees me. And she's telling me her history. And she says, oh, yeah, in my first baby, I got admitted to Mount Sinai with appendicitis. And I said, oh, my God, I was the resident. And I actually went into her chart at Mount Sinai and I pulled up my note with my handwriting from when I was a second year resident. And then I wanted to take care of her for the rest of her pregnancies, which was just so. That's wonderful. Yeah. It was just such an interesting thing that I, I'd known her for literally her whole like reproductive career starting from when I was a resident. I learned so much from that experience and it really means a lot to practice in that type of environment. A couple of years ago, I was seeing a a woman for a GYN annual exam and I was looking through her history at all, you know, her deliveries. And she had had a C-section on July 6th, 2008. And it was with Dr. Silverstein. And I thought for a second, I was like, I did your C-section. That was the first one I did. And she remembered me because when we were going to do the surgery, Silverstein brought me in the room and introduced me and said it was my first C-section. He was going to do everything. I was going to assist. And he took me through it. And she remembered certain words and phrases that he used while he was showing me how to do certain things and guiding me through the different steps. And it was the same thing where she said, you know, I'd always thought I'd never want a resident and never want anyone. And then suddenly my doctor, who I love and has delivered six of my kids, is like, oh, I'm going to have this brand new doctor come and deliver this baby with me. And it was fine. You know, I never felt unsafe and everything went well. And I've been following with her ever since. Yeah, when my kids were born, my twins were born when I was a medical student. I was a third year medical student. And so that's the year you do your rotations in medical school. And so my classmates were on the OB service as medical students. And they're like, is it okay? They thought it'd be like, where's I know? Like, I mean, my wife's like, yeah, of course. Like, it's, it's my pleasure. You want to, I mean, do you want to scrub into the C-section? And so there were medical students there. And then when my next child was born, I was a resident and one of the residents, uh, one of my co-residents was involved in the delivery for my fourth it was a pretty easy delivery and the resident wasn't there just because they had other things to do. And so it was just my wife's OB. Uh, But I remember for the epidural, when my wife came in for my third child, she came in in labor and she was ahead of me. She went into labor and then I had to, you know, figure out what to do with the twins. And I was, you know, waiting until the babysitter or my in-laws, whoever was, was coming. And so she went to the hospital first. And by the time I got there, she already had her epidural. And I remember the attending anesthesiologist came up to me and said, oh my God, I didn't realize it was your wife. I'm so sorry. I, I wouldn't have had the resident put it in the epidural. I would have done it myself. I was like, well, you don't care. Like the resident's great. Like, you know, they, they're fantastic. Like, why would it, why would it really make a difference? The epidural worked perfectly. My wife's like, no, it's all, it's all good. A lot of it is just this myth that somehow you're going to get worse care when you have residents. And I, I truly believe you get better care. I had residents take care of me. I mean, when I had 
complications in pregnancy and landed on the labor floor in triage. And there's a resident right there taking care of me, getting me what I needed right away. They followed along with me afterward. When I delivered, they admitted me for the induction. They started the process. And I tell patients that I see them every day. Like I am a better judge than anybody on whether they can do their jobs. And I felt comfortable with that. The training is so rigorous for all medical fields, but particularly those that are, you know, surgical, like OBGYN and surgery. And the residents are doing it all day, every day. When I was an intern in a 12-hour shift, I would do eight deliveries or, I mean, something crazy. And no one does that volume in practice. I mean, the number of deliveries I did in the first three years of residency is still probably more than the number of deliveries I've done in the 10 years since. And so you're talking, you know, thousands. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You they, When they operate, they do C-section. They just do back to back to back to back. The residents who are doing anesthesia, they, they do 20 epidurals a day. They're doing so many of them. And people don't realize their training is fantastic. And so when they're residents, particularly the senior residents, their skills are very high. The thing that you don't learn as quickly is more the judgment of what to do. And that's what takes much more experience in teaching. But the actual physical skills, the hand, you know, eye, dexterity, and operating, they learn very quickly and they need less of our teaching on that. It's more so what to do, when, exactly what operation to choose. Those types of things take much more experience. And that's when we really have a lot more conversation with them. But when I operate with the resident, particularly one who's done it several times, it's seamless. It's really much like operating. I mean, listen, we went from me operate as a resident, me operate as a partner, and it's the same thing. There's really no difference. Yeah. When I do forceps, I have the residents there as well. And it's exactly what you said. Like the first thing they pick up is how to place the forceps. And they'll say afterwards, like, why doesn't anyone do this? This is pretty easy. You know, I hear all the time how hard it is and I just did it. It's easy. And I said, yes, the placement is typically straightforward, but it's knowing what to use, when to use, the position of the baby, all the different subtleties that takes more time. You know, something that I'm still in the process of learning. Right. right. We're always learning. We're yeah. always trying to fine tune how we make these decisions. And that's why we'll bounce ideas off each other. But they're much more so the ideas of what to do, when to do it, not yeah. so much how to do it. And it's one of the nice things that I know that we've discussed before is when you're involved in someone's training or you train at the same place, you end up doing it the same way. When Melk and I operate together, since I trained at Sinai. Oh my God, it's trained, one, two, three, we don't yeah, even talk. Yeah, she trained at Sinai <laughs> and, and I was one of the people, many people obviously, I was one of the people involved in training you. So when we operate together, it's like playing catch. You don't have to tell the other person what to do and where to move their mitts. It just goes very smoothly because we call for the same instruments at the same time, the same speed. I know what you're going to do. You know what I'm going to do. Where sometimes you operate with someone who trains somewhere else. And so I was like, wait. Who's going to do this? And are, are you going to do this? Am I going oh, to do this? I Which instrument do you use? I operate a lot with Bender and Rebarber, and we'll have to decide, like, whose style are we doing? Right. It's like dancing. <laughs> who's, who's making who's, the who's, call? Who's, 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 who's leading the dance? Right. Who's in the lead? The takeaway message from this, and I believe this very strongly, and again, I've been in all sorts of hospitals, and I've been on both ends of it, as of you, is teaching hospitals are not something to be afraid of. They're not something to be concerned about. They're really great places, both to train, to practice, and also to receive medical care. It's obviously appropriate to know who the person is taking care of you. Are they a learner? Are they a student? Are they a resident? Are they your doctor? This is things that should be communicated, but it should not be out of fear that they're going to do something to you or just unsupervised and that the overall care is going to be better. And we rely on them heavily and we appreciate what they do. 
and it really provides, I believe, for the best care for women, for all people who are admitted to the hospital. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Stephanie Melka, talking about teaching hospitals and residency training. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Healthful Woman. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.